Well, good morning. It's great to be here. I am excited to be here. <clears throat> when Patty gives out these lessons, um, she, she titled this one, um, Living for What Matters. And, I mean, goodness, my goodness, what an amazing topic that is to get to try to talk about. And then the, when I went to the scripture to see what scripture she was giving me, it, it, it just blew me away. And I've, I've told her several times, oh, Patty, I just feel so amazing that you gave me this scripture to, to get to speak about today. So I do pray. I worked on it, as, as she said, and I, I kind of think of it as like birthing a, a lesson. It feels like that to me. is so much struggle here. But I really have loved doing it. Um, I want to start out with the table question this morning. I want you to go around and share at your table um, three words that would describe where you are right now. Either it can be an adjective, an adverb, whatever you want. Three words that would just kind of give a sense of where you are right now, the place that you are in your life, either today or just how, you, how you're feeling, whatever it is. Then when you get done with those three words, I want you to go around your table and share with everybody briefly what those three words mean. Share those words and then briefly, because we're not telling life stories here, and they could be, they could be very intense. And then we couldn't get around to everybody. So I just want you to briefly say what those three words are. Um, As an example, I want to, I'll give you my three words that I had more time to think of than you do. And by the way, just do whatever's on the top of your head. It doesn't have to be a deep thing. Just whatever's on the top of your head. Three words that I would come up with. One, I'm excited. Two, I'm challenged. And three, I'm heart sick. And the reason I say that is I'm, I'm excited because I do love to study God's word and to be able to share what God is saying inside of me is just really exciting. But the second word that brings me to the challenge part because I feel so inadequate. I do not speak well. What my thoughts are never don't necessarily always come out through my mouth. So it's really challenging for me to do this. And the third word um, is just sort of on a personal note. Um, I'm coming up on the first anniversary of when my son passed away. And um, I'm thinking back to that time a year ago when I was in that struggle of just watching him die and being his caretaker. and So I'm just kind of reliving that. So those three words are my life right now in a nutshell. So I want you to do the same thing with your own table, and I'll give you enough time to do this. So hopefully. So go ahead. But keep it brief when you get your uh, description. Miss Patty always says, we don't care how long it takes for you to find your... <laughs> just, just find it, it's fun. Flipping through that Bible, hearing those pages turn. Alright, we're in Philippians 1, verses 12 through 26. And I'm reading out of the NIV. I don't know what version you have, so just read along with me. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. 
Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And this is an amazing sentence. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruit, fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Jesus Christ will overflow on account of me. When I read that, it just gives me faith. I just, I just go, wow, Paul, how could you be that way? Um, how could you have this joyous attitude when you're sitting there in a prison cell? Um, I think it's, it's pretty amazing. amazing. And I want to look a little bit at what, what has happened to Paul. I want to um, tell you a little side note here. Um, last November... When um, a lot of, some of you might have in this group, I know some of you did, go to Israel with church. I don't know if you were a part of that group or not. But I so wanted to go to Israel. And, um, but I was at the time taking care of Tad, and I could not leave him. I was no part of me that even wanted to do that, but I had to stay home. And so I was reading about two weeks before that, right through Acts. And I got to the, the end of it, and it was, I was just like flying through this book. It just was reading like a novel to me. And I got to the end of it, and I, I, I just remember specifically saying, what happened to Paul? What happened to him? I want to know more. I just want to know more. And so um, I got on Amazon.com, and I put in biography of Paul, the Apostle Paul, and, and got a book. And that book was Apostle, A Life of Paul by John Pollock. And so it came to me about a week later in the mail, and I started reading it. And if you're ever, like, dry in your study or you don't know where you're going with your study, I would really, this was so fun for me. Um, I would read this book because he makes the scripture just come alive because he adds all the cultural stuff what's going on. And then he, uh, and then I would look through Acts. And I would also study whatever they're writing about next. If they're if they're writing to the Philippians, I would read Philippians. If he was in if he was in Colossae, I would write read Colossians. And so it was just a fun thing to go back and make notes in my Bible what I was saying. Well, just to give you a little insight into the kinds of things that they would say that I would, didn't know before reading, he was talking about what Paul was facing while he was in this Roman cell. And he's writing to Philippians. And where he's saying, I rejoice. And this is what he says. Um, and I don't know how true this is, but I think this is where a lot of those, I, I know these, this happened to a lot of Christians back then um, through his study. And I don't know if this is what was Paul's fate, but this is what he says. It's a little bit gruesome, so I apologize. But it gives us insight. It says here, if Paul was found guilty, he would be put in an underground dungeons until the next gladiatorial games. And then, as the last item on the program, he and the other criminals, naked and with no weapons but their hands, would be driven into the arena with whips. At the opposite end, wild beasts starved for two days to ensure that they would be ravenous and furious, would be released from their cages, and the convicted prisoners were on their own. Just think of that. When you read these words of Paul rejoicing, then this could be his possible fate. 
it just gives me goosebumps to think about that. It was such an ama- uh, such a uh, I don't know terrible society that that Roman society had turned into that they could do that. But that's what a lot of the the early Christians were facing and did face. And, you know, reading that other cultural stuff alongside of Scripture just adds so much life to it. But I read that, and then at the same time, Paul's words, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. I mean, that is just amazing. Where does that attitude of being able to rejoice come at the same time as being in this terrible circumstance of being in jail? It just seems like incongruous, incongruous, doesn't it? I mean, to be rejoicing at the time that you could be facing this death. Um, I just want to quickly remember, if you want to remember what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi. Patty Chuck t- touched on that a couple weeks ago. And I think it's important to look at today because he's in another prison. He's talking about being in chains for Christ. He really doesn't say, I'm in prison. I'm in chains for Christ. It's the way he puts it because that's how he saw himself. But when he was in Philippi, Back in, and he was, it was on, in, um, his second missionary, missionary journey. So he was about 50 years old. Um, and he, that's when those, that earthquake happened. And he was praying in the cell with, um, and with Titus. He and Titus were praying in that cell. And the earthquake happened and the gates were opened. Immediately they were opened up. And so that little start of a church in Philippi, saw this amazing thing happen. They saw it because of their, pray- of their prayers and, and how Paul was praising God. So here he is, a year, ten years later, now in another Roman cell, you can imagine what he's doing. He's got to be praying and praising God at the same time. Just no doubt about that. I brought in this morning a globe because I think this is interesting. I don't know if you guys studied geography when you were a little kid, but I kind of ignored it. And whenever I read through... Um, these different um, cities and places, and I kept to keep flipping to my my my, my uh, map because I, I I don't know if they're talking about a place or a city or a, a people group. I don't sometimes I don't get it, but and so I think it's interesting now as a grown up to to see where these different places are, and um, and I think the globe. I just I just got to make a little point here because I, I think it's amazing to me. Um, I've marked on this, and I'm going to pass it around, and you can look at it, or you can pass it on if you have good maps in your in your own. Um, it's just for for your own interest. But I marked on here where Jerusalem was, uh, the little town of Jerusalem, and that's um, where um, where uh, Jesus taught. Only in the town of Galilee, Gal- or the areas of Galilee and Judea, just he Jesus went into these little tiny hamlets, these little tiny cities. He didn't. He avoided the large cities. The largest one he did go to was Jerusalem. Yes, he had large crowds come to him. The five thousand. Whoops, there I go. The five thousand that um, uh, that he fed, which was just the men um, in that group. Uh, sorry, I get distracted. So they, we know he had some large groups. That he, but he really basically was in these little towns and these little hamlets. Um, Paul, on the other hand, was from Tarsus, which is on the other side of the Mediterranean, and. Um, I didn't mark that here, but it's, in, it's what is in Turkey now. And um, it's a mountainous region, and um, he, he was born about the same time as, as um, Jesus. He was born in, in about 1 AD, so in about age 33 is when he became um, a believer, when he met Christ on that road to Damascus. But he never met Christ while Christ was walking on earth. And he... Um, but he, on the other hand, his heart's desire was not to little tiny hamlets and little tiny um, villages like Jesus was. He was driven 
She wanted to go to the whole Roman Empire, which at the time was northern Africa, Asia, and then all the way over to Britain. So he, his heart cry was to go into these large cities, to go into these big people groups, to go to the, to the, the wealthier people where Christ was just to the more poor and the, the humbled means. So they have completely different callings. And because of, and then I've marked on here where that city of Philippi was, because when he finally got there, he finally got to a place where there was nobody that had heard of Christ, which is hard for us to even imagine. He finally arrived at what his heart's cry was, what he really wanted to do, be, um, you know, be with people that had never heard the word of, 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 of Christ, where Christ died on the cross. And so he got to Philippi, and, um, and you know, through mountains, mountains, terrain, and whatever, and he finally got there, and he was doing what he finally wanted to do. And I think from just these small little um, hamlet that Jesus started, and then people like Paul who went out as they were called to go out to the world, to Philippi, and, and all the way to Rome where he is in this story, the whole world now has heard about this man Jesus. I think I, I, it's because the, 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 of the, his of people like Paul, whose heart's cry was to to just to preach Christ. Uh, so I, just, I thought that's interesting. I want to just pass this around, just um, just to get an idea of uh, the world is so big. From these little starts, the, the whole world has been touched. So when Paul was in Acts 16, when he was in that first jail cell, the most distinguishing thing was the fact that those prison gates were opened, and now again, he's in another prison cell. It's a Roman cell. He's now 10 years older. He's in his early 60s. And he goes on to write to the Philippians, and we're going to review this a little bit in verse 12. He says... Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Here he is. He's stating this purpose statement of himself. He's saying that his, no matter what his circumstances are, his purpose, which is to advance the gospel, is still happening. It's part of God's plan. It's not a mistake that he's in this jail cell. It's just part of what God had in, in mind for him. And he's looking at that, and it's part of what God had in store for him. Um, from that, I, my first point there is I want to make, um, make, make a point to say that we choose how we see our circumstances. Paul chose to see that he was right in the place where, Christ, where God wanted him. I want you to ask yourself in your own mind three questions. Um, and uh, I just want you to state what you believe in your own mind. One, I believe... That Christ is in every situation that I face. Or two, I believe that Christ is in some of the situations that I face. Maybe not everything. He doesn't really care about every little detail of my life. Or three, I believe that Christ really isn't really involved in any of my, my the little happenings of my life. There's three, it's a, it's a whole range there. But I think sometimes... You know, is Christ in all of our situations? Is he in everything that we deal with? Is he in every little place where we are? Or are you just saying it kind of comes and goes? When we're really in the word, he's there. Or when we're really doing ministry, he's there. And when he's really in church, he's there. Or he one that, he doesn't really care about the little details of my life. I think it's important to think, what do you believe? What do you believe? 
I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing, um, maybe for us, but I just think it's important to look at what we believe every once in a while. I want you to turn to, to Isaiah uh, chapter 43 in the Old Testament. For Jeremiah, after Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and it's one of the prophets, Isaiah. And I hadn't read a lot of Isaiah until I was, I, until Ted got sick, actually. I don't know why this, this whole prophecy of the Isaiah just came to life for me. And in, I, and as I read Isaiah, um, it was kind of neat because when Tad first got sick, uh, one of my daughter's friends sent me some passages. She said, I think these are for, for your mom, Jenny. She said, would you give them to your mom? I think she needs these verses. So they were even more dear to me because they mean so much, but because someone else thought that God was wanting me to hear these verses too. We're going to start in verse um, 1 of 43, and this is what it says. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, and I always put myself in there. I don't put Israel in Jacob, so I say that. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Margie, he who formed you, Margie, or sometimes I even put Tad's name in there. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then go down to verse 4. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. Go down to verse 5. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. I just love those verses. And there's a few more here I'm going to read because I still love these two. And then it goes down to verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, God, before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I am not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? And then verse 18, I love this. When we're in a hard place. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I make an away in the desert and streams in the wasteland. These places that are hard, these deserts, these wastelands. I make an away, the Lord says. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in that hard place, that desert. And I provide streams in that wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. I just love that. I read that a lot. God is always with us. Let's look at another one that you will know by heart. I know. Let's look at the last verse of Matthew. Matthew 28, verses 20b. 
know you guys all know this one. It says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These are Jesus' words. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. He is always with us. And one more I want to look at Psalm 139. So go backwards again in the Old Testament. I love this one too. Psalm 139, verses 7, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. I just love that. What do you believe? Do you believe that God is in every single one of your situations, every single place that you are? The Bible teaches that he is. So to fill out the, that last, the next bullet point that I have here, we should see all of our circumstances with Christ in the center of them. Christ is right there with us. Every single situation that you're in, Christ is right there with us. Part two. What should our attitude be in our circumstances? As I was studying this one, these thoughts kept coming to me in these different places that I was reading, and I would jot down some notes. And so as I put it together, it just seemed so so um, jumbled. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Incombobulated is a word Chris and I use. I don't know, but <laughs> then last night between three and five, <laughs> the Lord gave me a little bit of clarity. So it may not go with your notes exactly what uh, I've said here, but um, this is what what um, I was trying to say. The first point, and I'm going to write it up here because I didn't put it in your notes. Attitude to change me. Paul's rejoicing. He's rejoicing here. Um, He saw God right in the middle of what his situation, and he saw that God was busy doing stuff. Um, And since God is right in the middle of it, should we question why we're there? Should we be the ones, should we be saying that big question, why am I, why am I here? Why did God allow this to happen to me? It's a hard question to answer, and it's an impossible question to answer. The more important thing is, what is God doing right there when I'm in that situation? And I put it there, I don't know if they were left as blanks or not, but I think God has put us there so that we can become the person that he created us to be through this difficulty. Through this fire, through this sorrow, this struggle, this place that I am right now, that we can be the person that God created us to be. 
Um, I remember when Tad was so ill, I did, my burning question was, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? I didn't want this pain to be wasted one minute. I mean, I, 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 I of course, asked the question, why did it happen to me? But I, I, at the same time, I knew God was a part of it, and I didn't want it wasted. I didn't want to take this pain and just say, it's for nothing, and then be the same person after it was all over. I wanted to be stronger or better. And so throughout that whole time, I just kept asking the Lord, what are you saying to me? Change my heart. Give me insight into what you're doing. And I think that's what, what Paul was doing at the same time. He was just looking to God for his answers. Where... Um, I wanted to look at Jesus. I always like to look at what Jesus has to say. And I think, did I put this in your notes? Or we'll look it up. Um, I think I did. Yeah, Jesus said. So we had to look it up. Um, what did Jesus say when he was in that really hard time? When he was at the end of his life and he knew what he was facing, he was facing the cross. What did he say? It says in, in John 12, verses 27 through 28, Now my heart is troubled. So he's struggling with this whole thing. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Get me out of this place? Is that what he's saying? No. It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Where you are, that place that you are right now, may be the crowning point of your life. And if you're in a really hard place, it's probably even more so that way because you're 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 struggling god works through our struggles so where you are may be the the most important place that you are and and jesus is either going to make you a better stronger person reveal who the real person that that christ has has created you to be or it can completely defeat you you can completely walk away you get this choice you get to see, okay, are you going to make me better? Are you going to make me stronger? Are you going to make me a, a, a more whole person, the person that you created me to be, God? Or I'm just going to walk away from you. This is too hard. I can't handle this. I don't think you know what you're doing. I think you've messed up here, God. And I, I just, I can't get it. I don't get it. You're just a mean God. Those are your options. You're going to change yourself. See what, what God is doing in you. There's a, a quote I put in your notes here, and it's written by Henry Nowen. It may seem a little harsh, um, because, and I don't want it to be, because hard places are hard. They are hard, and, and, I, and it's, it's not meant that way at all. But I think it's an interesting thing to think of for our culture. He says, so many of us live as victims of our circumstances. Our world wants to surprise us by sorrow by wars, by conflicts, by murders, etc. The powers of darkness want to continue to surprise us with human sorrow. These paralyze us. They seduce us into the existence of survival. In the midst of sorrow, as survivors, we accept the role as a victim, doomed by the circumstances of our lives. Joy doesn't come from being positive or from the ups and downs of our circumstances, of our lives, but it is based on the spiritual knowledge that while the world we live in is shrouded in darkness, God has overcome the world. I thought that was interesting, and I read this when I was studying about joy when I was really sick, because it, it's not about your circumstances where you get your joy. <laughs> it, it's, it, um, because you, you, it's, it's how... Um, yeah, I think we want to, we see ourselves as this victim of, of what's happening to us, 
and, and um, instead of um, just seeing what God is doing in us. Many times, I wrote this down, many times the most significant thing, significant thing that happens from our circumstance is not the result, but how it changes us. The second attitude I want to... Oops, sorry about my spelling. Attitude of the now. When Paul was in that prison cell, he didn't sit back and say, okay, my ministry is on hold. Here I am, plucked in this cell. God's made a mistake here, and I can't have ministry now because I'm stuck here. That's not what he said. He saw his ministry going forward right now, right in the now. Um, God is in the process of making each one of us holy. More like Christ. In Paul's prior imprisonment, he saw God's power. He saw uh, um, what what happened when he went into prayer. And he could draw on that strength again. God's training us for the now. Uh, His purpose is for this minute. Not for something in the future. God wants me to see that he goes through the chaos of my life with with me. He cares about our circumstances, most definitely. But what he wants us to know is that we are that that he wants to be there right with us. Um, I think a lot of times, um, <laughs> I, I know for me when I was at, stuck in that home, I kept thinking, you know, God's doing a lot inside of me, and I'm really excited. I want to get out and do ministry. But what he really wanted me to do is ministry right there with Dad at the moment. He wanted me to be just doing what I was doing in the moment. I think back to um, when my kids were little, and um, uh, I would be uh, (laughs) um, getting ready for church, and it was always the hardest time. And the kids would be running around, and I would, you know, be gathering them and gathering my stuff. and, And I really wanted them to go to church so they could learn about Christ, and in the meantime, I was being this hassled woman that was, you know, hurry, hurry, and scurry, scurry. What Christ wanted me to do was be, be him there in that moment.